You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. G'day, City on a Hill. Hope and pray you are keeping well. Uh, A big g'day to all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day. Hope you're being treated. Hope you're encouraged. Big shout out to my dad. Uh, He lives on the Gold Coast. Miss you, dad. Hope you're keeping well. Wherever you are today, wherever you're tuning in from, why don't you let us know uh, with a big, uh, your favorite emoji in the comments below. I miss you guys and look forward to when we can connect together again. Uh, If you are tuning in today for the very first time, welcome. So good that you could join us and wonderful that you're here for the launch of a new series uh, we've called Encounter. Jesus makes all things new. And as I was preparing for this series, I was reminded of a story of Matthew Paris. Matthew Paris is a a British journalist and broadcaster. He once worked for Margaret Thatcher. And in 2008, he traveled home to his home country of Malawi uh, to visit an aid project that his newspaper helped develop. Now, Matthew Paris is is not a Christian. In fact, he, he says that he's an atheist. But listen to these surprising discovery he made on his visit. Reporting for the Times, he says, Now a confirmed atheist, 
I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects and international aid efforts, these alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. He adds, I used to avoid this truth by applauding the practical work of mission churches in Africa. It's a pity, I would say, that salvation is part of the package. I would allow that if faith was needed to motivate missionaries to help, then fine. But what counted was the help, not the faith. But this doesn't fit the facts. Faith does more than support the missionary. It is also transferred to his flock. This is the effect that matters so immensely in which I cannot help observing. It's remarkable, isn't it? Paris is, is not a believer and yet he's confronted by an inconvenient truth. Jesus changes people. The change is powerful and the change is good. Over the next nine weeks, we are going to get up close and personal with the men and women who had real life encounters with Jesus. And as we look at their stories, my hope and prayer uh, is that we not only see the difference that Jesus makes in the life of others, but we would consider the change and transformation that God wants to make in us. And so if you have a Bible handy, why don't you grab it with me and turn to Luke chapter 2. Beginning in, in, in verse 25, this is what Luke says. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So here we're introduced to Simeon. And who is Simeon? Well, Simeon is a Jewish man that many presume was old in his years. You can almost see him stumbling into the temple with his walking stick, his slacks, his cardigan from savers, right? And yet interestingly, Luke doesn't really highlight his age or his family background or his list of credentials. The first thing that he identifies is Simeon's character, right? He, he says that Simeon was a man was righteous and devout. Now, does that mean that Simeon was a perfect guy who never did anything wrong? No, but it does mean that he took his faith very seriously. Right? This is a man who, who read his Bible regularly and prayed to God boldly. This is a guy you would see regularly at the temple uh, uh, making sacrifices and uh, offering his tithes and generosity. This is a man over many, many years, no doubt through many hard and difficult seasons, who has sought to love the Lord God with all his heart, mind, soul and strength and to love his neighbor as him. Self. Uh, in a culture like ours, where many are living as if God is dead and many are living for themselves, I think we could all agree that the world would be better with more Simeons. 
in this world. But perhaps the first observation that strikes me most about Simeon is his posture of waiting. Right? Did you see it? Luke says, this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, interestingly, the word waiting that Luke uses to describe Simeon is is not one of frustration and discontent, right? This is not a man pacing up and down, getting angry because his Uber Eats delivery hasn't arrived on time. No, this waiting, the waiting of Simeon speaks of hope and expectation. There is a joy and anticipation as his heart and soul are moved with joy as he looks to the horizon ahead. Now, I know um, many people hate uh, AFL illustrations in sermons, but here in Melbourne, it's finals time. And as some of you know, I was baptized as an infant into the Melbourne Football Club and have been following them ever since. In fact, here's a picture of my brother and I with one of the players when I was just a kid. And every year I've been going to the footy, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the day that we're not at the bottom of the ladder. I've been waiting for the day that we're not the brunt of everybody's jokes. I've been waiting for the day that we might rise from the ashes of death and hold the Premiership Cup. Do you know how long it has been since the Melbourne Football Club has won a flag? You can guess in the comments below. Here's the answer. 57 years, right? 57 years, no success, no cup, no flag. And yet this September, things are feeling a little different. We're in the finals. We're playing good. Football and for once the Premiership Cup feels within reach. Now I know what you're thinking. Was Simeon a Melbourne supporter? Maybe. We can't be sure. But what I do know is that he has been waiting a very, very long time. And what is he waiting for? Did you see it? Luke says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, to console someone is to meet them in their grief. It is to comfort someone. And it is this comfort and consolation that Simeon wants so desperately for God's people, Israel. You must remember that in the first century, Jewish people were living under the reign and rule of the Roman Empire. And they were not just the most dominant empire. But they stood over Israel with a tyranny of of power, violence and control. All of which to say that for God's people Israel, this, this is a time of great uncertainty. This is a time of sadness. And, and, and sorrow. This is a time, listen, when Israel are feeling incredibly isolated and alone. But what does Simeon see? What does Simeon know? Simeon knows the faithfulness of God. He knows that no matter our circumstances, No matter our poverty or pain or political oppression, there is the Lord our God who reigns supreme over all. And this God not only guides and governs all things in accordance with his good and pleasing will, 
but has promised to make all things new, right? This is why reading the Old Testament is so important because all through the scriptures, we hear God declaring a a promise of rescue. We hear prophets declaring a, a, a a promise of redemption and restoration. God has promised that he will rescue his people and his rescue will come with his son. God's king, God's savior, the one who Isaiah says will proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind. Who is Simeon waiting for? He's waiting for the Christ. Simeon is waiting for Jesus. Why? Because only Jesus can deal with the mess that Israel is in. And only Jesus, listen, can deal with the mess that you and I are in. I was talking to my daughter, um, Lily, this week. She's uh, five and uh, her kinder has closed The playgrounds have closed and I was checking in with her and just talking about coronavirus and seeing how she's going. And I I said, Lily, do you think coronavirus will will ever go away? And she said, no. I said, oh, how come? And without batting an eyelid, she says, because of sin. (laughs) I said, what do you mean because of sin? What does sin have to do with coronavirus? To which she rolled her eyes and said, dad. You should know this. And indeed, I should. Because while the origins of this pandemic are somewhat of a mystery, we know that all disease and indeed all death is a result of the fall. In sin, we have plunged creation and brought this world and our lives into ruin and and chaos. Now, does that mean that we... uh, ignore the need for medical intervention? Does that mean we ignore our political leaders and the need for unity and wise counsel and policy? No. But what it does mean is that we, like Simeon, must put our ultimate hope in Jesus. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of isolation, In the midst of sorrow and even fear, we are to set our eyes on Jesus and know that in the midst of despair, Jesus is our hope. In the midst of uncertainty, Jesus is our anchor. In the midst of sorrow and suffering, listen, Jesus is your love because Jesus is the answer for this world. I love this quote by Don Carson. He said, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But He perceived that our greatest need involved our sin and alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a saviour. Here in Melbourne and other parts across Australia, we are in a season of waiting, waiting 
for cases to drop, waiting for vaccine percentages to increase, waiting for restrictions to ease in our homes, in our cities, in our suburbs to open up. But as men and women of the gospel who now stand on the other side of the New Testament, we are to know and to believe and to trust that our ultimate hope is not in the things of this world. Our ultimate hope is Jesus. You need him. And so instead of waiting on the world, ask yourself what it now looks like for you to wait upon the Lord, right? They that wait upon the Lord, Isaiah says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So what does it look like in the midst of this running and this waiting to wait upon the Lord. Perhaps there is a call there to start your day and arise early in prayer, setting your mind not on the things of this world, but setting your heart on things above. Perhaps there is a call here to read through a book of the Bible, any book, just a book of the Bible, pick any book, and circle all the promises that God makes and circle them knowing, rejoicing that every promise that God has made finds its yes in Jesus. Perhaps there's a call here to find a quiet place in your 5K and just cast all your burdens to the Lord, just to empty yourself of all of your anxiety and concern and say, Lord God, would you fill my heart right now? I want to know your presence. I want to enjoy you. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And this leads to the second observation. I want you to notice about this encounter. Verse 26. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Jesus. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Now, One of the unmistakable observations or points you could say that Luke is making here is the prominence and purpose of the Holy Spirit, right? Did you pick that up? In verse 25, Luke says about Simeon that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, we discover that it was the Holy Spirit who revealed to Simeon that he will see the Christ. And then in Verse 27, Luke says, and please note this, Simeon came in the spirit, uh, Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. Right? So obvious question here. Who was it that brought Simeon to the temple that day and revealed to him that the baby in the arms of Mary was in fact the Christ? Who revealed that to him? It was the Holy Spirit. Now I've shared this before, but I um Remember uh, standing at the Meyer uh, windows in Melbourne on, and Burke Street Mall, and they have six windows, always, I don't know, devoted to a particular character or theme. Uh, it's Christmas times, so there's lots of lights and color and crowds of people looking on. But there's always a seventh window. 
And I remember this time going to the seventh window, and if you haven't been to the seventh window, well, when you stand there, there's not much glitz or glamour, there's not a lot of people watching, because at the center of the seventh window is the nativity scene, Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. And I remember standing there one Christmas, looking at this baby Jesus, when a woman with a stroller and a toddler kid came up to look at it. And the little boy pointed at Christ in the manger and said to his mum, who's that? Right? And the moment he said that, like, it's like the world stopped for me because to me that is the question. Who is that? His mum looked at the window, looked back at the kid and said, it's just a baby and turns the stroller and walks on off. Um, when that happened, uh, two thoughts struck my mind. First, eavesdropping is significantly underrated. And second, this is how so many people see Christ, right? Even as we read in this story in Luke, listen, when Mary and Joseph entered the temple, people didn't just stop and turn nudging and saying, there he is, right? The story doesn't go that the, the, the priests and the rabbis came running to him. People aren't bowing down to worship him. No, everyone in the entire temple looked at Jesus and saw just a baby, except Simeon. Simeon didn't see just another baby. Who does he see? He sees the Christ. He sees God's salvation. He sees the light to the Gentiles and the glory for Israel. And who gave him that insight? Right? It wasn't his superior intellect. It wasn't his religious devotion. No, Luke is desperate to tell you that his eyes were opened to see who Jesus is because of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Please don't miss this. Um, many of you tuning in right now I know, long to have a very genuine, authentic, living encounter with Jesus, right? You want to know him, not from afar, but up close and personal, right? You want to know him. You want to trust him. You want to believe in him. And that's great. And that is good. But you need to know that when we journey through the Bible and look at these stories of Jesus and the very examples of men and women who've encountered Jesus. If, if that's all we do, just flicking pages and preaching notes, and if that's all we're doing, it'll count for nothing if Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if God's Spirit doesn't capture our hearts and unveil our eyes, right? Because without the Holy Spirit, Jesus will be just another baby just another teacher, just another leader, just another prophet, just another person that you can ultimately ignore. What does it mean for you and I? It means that throughout this series and indeed our life, you and I need to be asking God to fill us with his Holy Spirit, right? When we read these stories, when we read these remarkable encounters, let me encourage you to, to go to them with open hands and an open heart and say, Lord God, would you fill me right now with your Holy Spirit? 
that I might see Jesus for who Jesus truly is. Grant me the Holy Spirit that rested on Simeon, that I too may see the light and glory of Christ. And as you pray, consider also the very practical implications here when it comes to mission. Right At City on a Hill, we are all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And God has placed people in your life right now who were made for Jesus. They need Jesus. Could be a work colleague, could be a neighbor, could be a friend down the road, right? And our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to know him, but make him known, to share the good news, to to invite people in to discover Christ. And yet if our mission is only about our effort and our clever words and our good deeds, listen, it ain't going to achieve anything. Why? Because no person has ever encountered the truth of Christ, the glory of Christ without the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means we live in the Holy Spirit. We we pray, Lord God, would you fill me with your spirit that you may open doors for the gospel, that you may give me opportunities to share my faith, that you would embolden me, give me courage to declare the truth. And I pray not only for my own heart and soul, I pray for my neighbor. I pray for my work colleague. I pray for that family member who seems so hardened to the gospel by your spirit. Spirit, would you give them a heart of flesh? By your spirit, would you unveil their eyes to know the beauty? Oh, the truth. Oh, the relevance of Jesus. We are people of the spirit. And this leads to the third and final observation that I want to share with you today. Look with me to verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Uh, Now, as a parent, uh, it's not uncommon for um, family members, friends, and even random strangers to tell you what they see in your child's future. Uh, And already Simeon has declared quite optimistically uh, the light and salvation that this child Christ will bring. But do you notice what else Simeon sees in his future? He sees opposition. In fact, such is the opposition that Jesus is going to face that Simeon speaks of a sword that will pierce through the soul of Mary, right? Now think about that. At this point, Jesus is just a child in her arms. And yet Simeon, in love and in in accordance with the word of God, is helping her realize that she's going to see Jesus suffer. He's going to be spat upon. He's going to be rejected. He is going to be crucified. And when those nails pierce his hands, it's going to be like a sword 
wedged and driving through your own soul. And yet, it's important to say that the suffering of Christ is very much part of God's plan and purpose. So in verse 34, Simeon says, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. What does that even mean? Well, in part, it means that throughout the ministry of Jesus, he will not only be opposed, but there will be some who will be brought down from their positions of pride and and arrogance, right? The the Pharisees in Luke 7 who question his authority and and deny his identity. Uh, The lawyer in Luke 10 who's, who's there to try and flex his intellectual muscle and test Jesus. Uh, The rich ruler in Luke 18 who put his own wealth and status ahead of Christ. These men not only failed to see Jesus, but in pride and sin, they were brought low. But while some were brought down, Simeon is also forecasting for us that through the ministry of Jesus, many will be lifted up. This is the man with leprosy in Luke 5, the widow's son in Luke 7, the boy with the unclean spirit in Luke 9. Jesus came, listen to this, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. God opposes the proud, he lifts up the humble. And all through the encounters of Jesus, we see him lifting up the poor the powerless, those that would humble themselves at the feet of Christ. And of course, one of the remarkable insights into Jesus' salvation is the particular focus and transformation that Jesus brings to the heart. Look at the final words that Simeon has to say. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for the sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, like you, I was raised in a generation that has been told to follow your heart. Whenever it comes to a big decision in your life, follow your heart. Whenever it comes to dating someone, follow your heart. Whenever it comes to your career choice, follow your heart. And we we say this mantra over and over again, being told that basically the heart is the epicenter of the universe and it is always right, always good and always true. And yet it doesn't take long for someone to realize just how naive and misguided that mantra is. Not only are our desires conflicting, let's be honest, they're often misguided and misplaced. We want what we know we shouldn't desire and we fail to desire what we most need, right? The heart is beautiful and and, and capable of great good, but it's also bent towards sin and and self-destruction. Some years ago, I read uh, the book, Girl on a Train, great book about a young woman named Rachel who recently divorced and struggling with an on and off relationship with alcohol. And uh, she's lost her marriage. She's lost her home. She's lost her job. And every day she, she catches this same train in and out of the city, just aimlessly searching for something. And, and one day as she's on this train, she, she sees this perfect home with this perfect woman 
and she's beautiful and the house is amazing and, and she's married to this amazing guy who holds her and he's good looking and she's good looking and it's everything about this picture that she's, she wants in her life. And so every day she's on this train and she sees this image of perfection that she, she so desperately wants. And then one day she sees this same woman in the arms of another man, a different man. She sees her in the act of betrayal and, and, and it angers her. It angers her not only because she sees this woman throwing away this great life, but it obviously triggers her own betrayal and the husband who betrayed her because why he was following his heart. And it's a great line in the book. She says, I've never understood how people can blithely disregard the damage they do by following their heart. Who was it that said following your heart is a good thing? It is pure egotism, a selfishness to conquer all. So this is the problem of our world right now. Sin, brokenness and evil, it's not just out there, it's in here. It's made its way into the very centre of our being. But this is also what makes Jesus so incredibly radical and remarkable. Because when Jesus enters into our world, when you have a deep and living encounter with Christ, he comes to the essence of your being, right? Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And Jesus, when he looks at your heart, he wants to change your heart. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you from the inside out. This week, I was reading a uh, fascinating story about a, um, a man named Shane. He lives in Launceston, Tasmania. And, and he shares this incredible story. He was the oldest of five children, and yet growing up, life was difficult. He found himself distant and disconnected from his, his parents and eventually kind of just left home and tried to find his way on the street. He got caught up in the wrong crowds, doing drugs, doing alcohol, youth detention centers. He then goes from one foster care family to the next, all up. He was through 76 different foster care families. He says, I didn't trust anyone. I hated the system. I hated the world. It was like a roller coaster. I kept on going backward and forward, backward and forward. At just 24 years of age, Shane was in a car with another guy. He was drinking. He was on drugs. And the guy has an accident, hits a person, Shane, along with the guy, is responsible and he's sentenced to 25 years in prison. And yet it was in his cell that his life took a sudden and dramatic turn. In prison, he connects with a pastor. The pastor's name is Paul. And over Skype, Paul begins to minister to Shane, inviting him to a rehab program, inviting him to church and to hear about the good news of Jesus. And this sparked a transformation in Shane's life. Not only did Shane beat drugs and alcohol, but his own heart was captured with the beauty, truth and relevance of Jesus. He says, one day I said to Paul, I want to be baptized and hand everything over to Jesus. I said, I can't hold on to things any longer. I want to hand it all over to Jesus. In March last year, Shane 
former drug addict, convicted criminal, was baptised. And in this, Jesus made him new. It's not to say that the scars of his former life are gone, but God had captured his heart and was changing him, transforming him from the inside out. Today he shares as a, serves as a volunteer at church. He's part of the welcome team, helps run Alpha. And when asked about his hopes for the future, Shane says, I'm going to keep on going the way I am and to grow more toward Jesus and learn more about him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't Jesus incredible? You know, what I love about Shane's story is the simple focus that he has on Jesus. You know, I think for some of us, particularly those who've been Christians for a long time, we can overthink Christianity. We can overthink our faith and, and, and we start, you know, creating for ourselves all these hoops that we've got to kind of jump through and all of these boxes that we need to tick. And, and, and faith becomes like this list of like religious works or just intellectual facts and grasping after. Listen, you, you were made to have a living, loving relationship with Jesus. You were made to know him, not just know about him, not tick a series of boxes. You were made to know him, to experience him, to enjoy him, to grow deeper with him and to become more like him. That journey is a journey that begins in the heart. Search my heart. See if there is anything of offense within and Lord God, lead me in the way of everlasting life. Do you want to see change? Do you want to know Jesus in a true life transforming way? If the answer is yes, then let's go to him right now in prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you pursue us you hold us, you keep us. Thank you that in Jesus we have our hope, we have our love and we have our future. And I pray, Lord, that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to encounter Jesus afresh. Wherever we are right now, whatever we're going through, whether we're on top of the mountain or face down in the valley, we know that your arms are not too short to save. You know that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And so, Lord God, fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Would you occupy every room in our life? Would you go to the very essence of our being? Would you change us? Would you transform us? That would be a people who would be following Jesus, loving Jesus, and becoming more like Jesus. We pray this for our good, for your glory, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.